0: If you have a Bible, open to the first letter of the Thessalonians, um, and we are in chapter 3, and we are at the end of the chapter, and we are going to do uh, groundbreaking stuff. I mean, three verses. We are going to kill three verses today. Um, and so if you've been with us, this is week 6 going through this letter, and it's going to pick up the pace here in the next couple of weeks. But we thought we'd dig into these three verses because these these three verses have so much to say so much to um, encourage us with, and and what we're going to do—it's kind of unique today—is I want to I want to do my best to connect you, okay, with um, the church of the past, and and the, meaning that um, there are some uh, we're going to be reading a letter that's one of the first letters ever written to a church in the New Testament. Okay, that's what First Thessalonians is. It's really one of Paul's first letters that we have. Okay, that, that scholars have been able to pinpoint when he wrote this um, is around, right around 50 A.D., and so just uh, less than two decades after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, this is one of the first letters that we have, and, and also what we're going to be doing today is there's a few uh, quotes that I'm going to give you from early church fathers, Okay that were uh, writing and encouraging churches, and their writings didn't necessarily make it into Scripture, but I, I just want you to hear these words. I want you to be encouraged by them because uh, what we struggle with, what we deal with today, how, how we live out this faith today is not that much different. Sure, you have an iPhone, <laughs> but the, 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 the deep stuff, like the core bedrock stuff about, about what it looks like to live this out now, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed, and so uh, we're going to jump into these first three verses. These these three verses, and we're going to go one verse at a time, and then we're going to finish up. And I just want to just quick statistic. Okay, normally my sermons are like ten pages long. This one's only six. Okay, so be encouraged. Be be excited. The tailgate party is sooner than you think. Okay, so <laughs> chapter three, verse eleven it goes like this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Remember last week he was separated from them and he talked about that. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, uh, we're going pl- to talk about grammar. I know it's super exciting. You guys are like, I hope we talk about grammar today. Um, but this is how the structure goes for this letter. Um, he says, may God, three times. May God, and then it follows with a verb, like an action verb. And so he's, he's praying this prayer, may God uh, do something, do something active uh, on behalf of, of you, the Thessalonians. And, and so I think that one of the things that gets us kind of sometimes sidetracked in our faith, sidetracked in how it is to live this out, is we think there's so much we have to do. That we do something and then God does something. And, the, and then God rewards us from doing something by doing something for us. It's this very conditional version of, of love that we kind of fall into with God. And, and so I just want to encourage you, if you're here and that has tired you out, If that game has tired you out, if if you've been ready to throw in the towel, if you have have felt that God is distant and that your life is dry and and, and brittle and cracked and and needing life, I want to encourage you that that's what God does. And that we want to pray for you. We We want to help you see that that our posture before God, that, that just God shows up. God does the action in us. And so we'll see some of this as we, it unfolds here today. But verse 1, it says, Now may, God, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. What I love about this is there's this double subject. The double subject is God and, and Father himself and our lord jesus there 's two subjects in this verb in, in this in this verse, and one verb and so this is actually this is going to probably not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. This is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus is called God. This is the first time in the New Testament that God the Father and Jesus are looked at as one. This is the, the first time that that the people are are, that we know of that the people are, under, are understanding Jesus in this light. And so this is really important because uh, he is making a claim here. And for the Jewish people who have become followers of Jesus, this is a big deal. They, they are monotheists. They believe in Yahweh only. And the, the fact that this, this, this Jewish rabbi is now teaching them that Jesus is God is a significant thing. And then we talked about this. He cleared the way for us to come to you. You remember Timothy and Silas were able to go. Timothy actually went back um, and heard about the church and then came back and then Paul immediately wrote the letter. You remember we were talking about how Timothy probably came back with stories and was excited and, and Paul was just filled by the stories he was hearing. And, and he's hoping that Jesus clears the way. And you remember last week we talked about who was blocking the way and that was the adversary. That was Satan. And, and we talked about what that uh, possibly looks like. And and then uh, what we know is that through later writings and through the, what we understand about Acts is in the history of all these journeys is that Paul did get back. Paul did get back to the Thessalonians. And we think he got back twice, um, five years later. And so it was a time, it was a season, it was a, a longing to get back, but he got back. And so we know that prayer was answered. And that's a cool thing. Verse 2, it says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And, and what I love about this one is that the people, the Thessalonians, are already loving each other really well. I mean, it, it sounds like this is something they're already doing. He's saying, I want it to increase and I want it to overflow. I want it to get bigger. I want it to have an impact. Um, today, we were at an ice cream shop and you know how ice cream shops are. They, they give you those little sample spoons, right? Those little pink sample spoons. And, and they're like, yeah, I want to try a little of that. I want to try a little of that. And, and those, are, those are handy little spoons, okay? They're handy little spoons, but when you find the one you want, right, you're not going to keep going with that, <laughs> that little spoon. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe it makes you feel better, like you're eating less bad stuff. I don't know. I don't know how you're, you work with that. But my guess is, is you probably graduate to a bigger spoon, right? And then if you're serving a lot of people, okay, and, you're, and, you're, and you've got a huge thing of ice cream, you're probably using a huge big spoon. And, and my guess is, is that it, some of us approach this whole love thing with each other and with others with different size spoons. Um, for some of you, Uh, You're new to this whole community thing. You're new to this church thing. And so you're like, I'm going to just give it a little, a little sample spoon, right? I'm going to just dip my toes in a little bit and just try it before I buy it. Um, But what Paul is talking about here is something bigger than that. He's telling the people that he's like, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. That it would be, that it would be a big spoon kind of thing, right? That, that you could graduate from the love that you're already involved in to something even bigger. That next year when you look back on your life, you could say, oh, wow, that's a whole lot different. And, and so this is God's action. God does the work here. This is God making your love Increase, this idea of loving each other isn't a, hey, be nice to each other thing. That's not what Paul's saying. It's actually this kind of love that benefits another at your own expense kind of love. That you feel it, like it, it, it kind of costs you something kind of love. This is uh, what marriage love needs to be. Contractual well, if you do this then i 'll oblige you but like it 's like a full giving kind of love he 's talking about this kind of love of bounding them together like a family that that there 's pain and there's chaos all around them okay, but their giving of each other to each other sacrificially is increase he wants it to increase and overflow he wants it to make a huge difference one of the Early, earliest Christian writers, a guy named Tertullian. He's actually one of the first Christian writers that actually came uh, and started to weave together the picture of what the triune God looked like in Scripture. He he wrote this in his book, Apologeticus. And he wrote this in response to um, the churches all over. If you read Acts and you read some of the the the, the letters that Paul wrote and others wrote, um, they were doing. There was a huge famine in Jerusalem, and all the churches were contributing to helping uh, the people of Jerusalem. Okay, we talked about this last fall in the book of Colossians and that letter to the church in Colossae, and and they were poor. They didn't have a lot. And they gave, out of their, they gave generously out of that. They gave until it hurt. And they gave and they gave. And so Paul and the, some of these guys collected this offering and brought it to the church in Jerusalem. And this is what Tertullian is writing about. He says, Contributions are voluntary and proportionate to each one's income. They are used to support and bury poor people to supply the wants of boys and girls who are destitute of means and parents and of old people now confined to the house and such as have suffered shipwreck or any who are in the mines or any banished to the islands or shut up in prison for their fidelity to God's church. Oh. You know anybody that's been shipwrecked? I mean, these are, these are situations and people. These are, these are people that have their stories behind all of these. And the church came together. The church all over the area came together and just sacrificed and gave and loved. And it, and it poured overflowing to them. Now, the second thing he says is to love everyone that your love for everyone would increase, okay? Not just this community. See, I know a lot of churches that are really good at loving each other, but then they leave and they're jerks. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we, we're pretty good at, 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 you know, at tailgate parties and, and, and you know, helping each other out and things like that. But, uh, but what happens when we're out there, you know? I mean, think about what's happening right now. Cultural... Uh, you know, people who are just in, in touch with culture and and there's the tone of media and the life of a nation in this world uh, are seeing uh, a division in our country over issues, over big issues, small issues. You're either this, you're either for me or you're against me kind of stuff. It's brutal. It's big. It's in families. It's all over. Um. Politics, words have become dividing lines, just simple words and phrases, okay? So you could, say, you could say something that would trigger somebody and say, oh, you're against me. And it's just so prevalent right now. It's so, it's big, it's huge. And our election cycle is just fear and division and all of these things. And what would it look like? if the church in America lived differently, acted differently, and loved differently? I mean, really, what would it look like if we decided that November 8th didn't change anything for what we're called to be and who we're called to be? So let me ask you this. Is your love for anyone and everyone increasing and overflowing? Is it increasing and overflowing? Or... I mean, you can, you can answer this for yourself. If you look back a year in your life, six months in your life, are you more skeptical? Are you more critical? Are you more defensive? Are you more isolated than you ever ever been? See, that's the difference. Paul is, is pushing them. This is a group of people that have every reason to be skeptical, critical, isolated, and defensive. Every reason. They're feeling it on the outside. They're feeling the pressure from the, the community in Thessalonica. They're, uh, Jewish people that have become Christians are feeling pressure from their, their Jewish friends and relatives. I mean, it's not pretty. They've given up worship of the gods and of Caesar, and they're feeling the intensity of that action, and they could very easily become critical, defensive, and isolated. But what does he tell them to do? May your love for everyone, increase. There's no qualifier there. It's not if they fit into your worldview or they agree with your politics or if they, they you know, take care of their yard or, or if they let their, their, their kids run wild or not. It doesn't matter. Your love for everyone would increase. Everyone. People that you disagree with. People that you don't know if you have anything in common with. Clement of Alexandria wrote this, and I think this is pretty pretty intense. Clement was a, was a church leader and writer, and he wrote this in one of his biographies. He says, "For when unbelievers hear from our mouth the oracles of God, they wonder at their beauty and greatness I mean they." They wonder, they hear these words, they wonder at their beauty and greatness. Then, discovering that our deeds are not worthy of the words we utter, they turn from their wonder to blasphemy, saying it is all a myth and a delusion. So, some great things can be said. You can post a lot of neat Bible verses on Facebook. But if you're a jerk, if we're jerks, if we write people off, if we uh, cut people off, then it means nothing. It looks like it's just a delusion or a myth. And so Paul says to imitate him, he says, Imitate me. He's like, This is what our love is for you. And so we're living in the midst of hardship. We're pouring everything we can towards you for you, we're giving everything we have. For you. You mean that much to us. And he's telling them to do like he's doing. And so I think it's interesting. This is, this is a church community. Um, and all church communities are basically at their schools for loving people. To learn how to give sacrificially. To learn how to love people till it hurts. See, a lot of times my own love is based on transactions, and conditions. You know, that's just natural for me. And so when Paul says, may God make your love increase, it's almost as if Paul's saying, may God change the way you love people. Make it not conditional or transactional. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter five, and there is a version of Matthew chapter five, an interpretation called the message Um, I occasionally will quote the message, and usually every time someone gets angry at me. So before we do this, um, I'm okay, I'm just this is illustrative, okay? It's beautiful. Listen, Jesus says, You're familiar with the old covenant law, the old written law love your friend. And its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, he says. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone. To everyone, Did you hear that? Regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty, if all you do is love the lovable, you, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. And then he says this, in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects... Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Isn't that beautiful? It's challenging. And here's verse three. Paul says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, every time in the New Testament, what you need to understand is the New Testament, especially uh, letters written by a Jewish rabbi who memorized the Old Testament, everything he says has a go back. It's tied into something that is in his mind and his heart about Scripture, Old Testament Scripture. And this is an allusion to Zechariah 14. And in Zechariah 14, I'm just going to read a few of the verses in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 is a prophet. He's a prophet writing uh, a prophecy about what God is doing called the Day of the Lord. And it's, uh, it starts off like this in verse 14. It's, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. And, and this is a pros- prophecy that ended up, Jesus ended up taking on again uh, during his time, and he predicted that Jerusalem would, uh, would be ruined. And it happened in AD 70. And so... The prophet uh, uses the, the personal first name Yahweh here. The Lord is coming. Verse 3, it says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as, he's fight, as he fights on the day of battle. And so this idea that there's going to be other people, there's going to be enemies of the people um, uh, of Jerusalem, and God is going to go out and fight against them. And then verse 5, it says, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azil. And you will flee as you fled from the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And and that's in the Old Testament. You can read about that. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. See, Paul is actually alluding to all the holy ones at the end of this prayer um, to Zechariah. And in verse six, he says, on that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness, okay? Okay. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. Even when evening comes, there will be light. When the survivors from all the nations have attacked Jerusalem, will go up. Uh, says, "I'm sorry." Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. Let me just tell you a little bit about what's happening here. There will be a day unlike any other day, Scripture says. There will be no evening. There will be no cold, no hot. It just, it's a day unlike anything else we've ever seen, and only God knows when that day is and what it'll be like. And somehow in the, the economy of all this, the enemies that have attacked God, that have attacked Jerusalem, many of them will actually one day worship God. And so with all of this, um, there's a day of abundance. There's, there's so much happening here. Paul is saying the Lord is Jesus, okay, which is, had to be this beautiful thing for the Jewish people to go. Yahweh is Jesus. The personal God of the Israelites is this Jesus of Nazareth, which had to have been a huge thing. But, but basically what he's saying is, look, one day when Jesus returns, we will be holy and blameless. So live like that now. Okay? We're going to be holy and blameless one day, so live like that now. That is your new identity. Paul says you are new creations, and so the old is gone, the new is here. So live like you're a new creation. Live as if that's already true of you, because it is. And then he says this, enemies, even the enemies that you think you have right now, that you think are enemies of God, that you think are enemies of anything that God is trying to do, they will be worshiping the one true king. Many of them will be worshiping the one true king. So treat them differently. Right? So if you knew that one day one of your enemies was going to be your friend, how would you treat them? You would treat them like a friend. If you knew one day you would be blameless and holy, then then live like that now. That's what Paul's saying. It's this this beautiful future-looking thing. Interesting, right? People of the future. That, That you would actually live like you are that now. And we do that together. We link arms and do that together. One last really cool quote. And this one pretty much moved me to tears. And I sent it to Dan's as Vorka. By the way, last week, if you didn't miss, we were Dan's as Vorka is jumping on our staff. I don't know if you missed that last week, if you weren't here, but one of the things I love about Dan is he is, he's so so in tune with who God is and, and, and what Jesus wants us to do. And he, he's not satisfied with just talking about it. And so part of him coming on staff is to help us practice it. And so he's going to be um, pastor of mission practice around here. And I sent this quote to him. And he's excited to flesh this out with us in the, in the days and weeks to come. But this is from... Uh, It's called the Epistle to Diognetus, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And he's talking about Christians. He's talking about this wacky group of people, the first disciples, the, the first clusters of Christian communities that are popping up all over. He says this, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As as citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as if foreigners. They marry as do all. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. He's talking about the, the practice of infanticide in the Roman world. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They are poor. They make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet, they are very dis- yet their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, yet they are justified. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted and pay back the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Isn't that powerful? I mean, what would that What would that look like? What would we scream about less? What would we change in our priorities to make this different? How are we making people rich? How are we, how are we living as if sojourners in our country? How is that different for us? You know, many of us have been through a thing called faith walking. And some of you are going to get a chance to do that um, in January. And faith walking is uh, this idea, this belief that in order to live out fully alive uh, lives, um, and this isn't the only way you can do this, is there's not like they have the corner market on this. It's, It's just this idea that there's sometimes there's things in us that are broken enough that keep us from fully living the way God intended us to live. And once we figure out what that is, and once we get to live differently, once we get to see kind of how we've lived in a default way, um, and we can live fully alive lives, it's, it's something, it doesn't make our life easier. It doesn't make our life uh, more, you know, fulfilling. or it doesn't, make, it doesn't make that happen. It doesn't make dreams come true and new jobs happen. It doesn't make that stuff happen. What it may, means is, is that the way I live my life in relationship with people in my life changes becomes more authentic, potentially becomes more honest. And what Paul is getting at is is if we live our lives in a way that is blameless and holy, no matter what's happening, no matter what storm is happening around us, circumstantially or suffering or anything like that, no matter what storm is happening around us, People will go. What is this? What is this all about? How how does that work? You should be you should be giving up. You should be quitting. You should be turning your back on this God. You should be you should be uh, cutting people off that 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 hurt you. You should be telling story, you should be, you should be uh, trying to climb your way to the top, over people. You shouldn't be living like this. And we believe that people of the future are more alive, more compassionate and more intentional, each day, each month, each year. So how does this land in our laps? How does our love for each other increase? Well, for some of you, we're taking little tastes of community, and, um, and, and I get it. There's just a, you know, there's a starting point, right? I want to see if this works. Um, some of you really need to put down the sample spoon and pick up a soup spoon. Some of you are ready to put down the soup spoon and pick up a serving spoon. It's about the next thing for you. May your love be. Increase, not stay static. May your love increase for people here. May your love increase for people out there. You got to take the next step. What is the next step for you? Some of the guys in our 10 man table group, um, let me just tell you how hard it is to start things for men at a church. Okay? <laughs> we decided about two years ago, uh, someone told me, I don't know where I heard it, maybe a conference, I don't know, someone said, hey, You've gotta you gotta build into the men in your church. It's easy to get women to come to church. And I'm not trying to you know what I'm trying to say there. Like sometimes, guys, it's tough for us to do this. It's tough for us to. Some of you, I watch some of you guys. You're like, okay, when's the singing over? You know, and then you're you're not singers, right? Okay, that's okay. And and you're not really good with sharing your feelings. And and I get all those things. And and if there's kind of more of a guy thing to do, we can. How oh, I can do that? I can golf because there's a bunch of guys doing it, you know. But we, we thought, okay, what would it look like to get guys together? What would it look like to get guys in the same room? And so we started Pub Chat, and, and that was kind of like this thing that kind of happened. And, and guys, I would encourage you to do that with us. It's, it's really not that hard to hang out and talk about one thing. Um, and if you don't feel like talking, don't. It's okay. Um, that's what the pub's for. <laughs> and so and so that, that's, you know, it's like how, that's like Little Spoon. Come come with your Little Spoon, okay? Come with your Little Spoon and see if that works for you. Some of the other guys have taken a little step further. And they do something called 10-man table. And it's an hour. And I'm telling you that the group that, that meets in Nevada, and I know the group that meets up north, there's something for an hour. I mean, you're reading something, you're just talking about it a little bit and you're just kind of encouraging each other. It's, it's not that hard. And some of you maybe need to take the little spoon and put it down and, and take up a little bigger spoon and say, okay, I'm going to love a little bit more. I'm going to figure out what this is like. Um, and ladies, the same thing. Uh, it's not hard to get you guys together. I, I, I'm so encouraged by the retreat and the, the ladies hour and there's a ladies fireside chat and those are all ways that you can begin to love people and to learn who people are a little bit more. Some of you are taking the step with the Family Shelter Initiative. That is awesome. That's a big step for many of you. I know it. You're going to spend the night in, a, in, a, in an old church building with people you don't know? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's hard. That's a step. That's another big thing. I just got back from a retreat with a few pastors and some of you guys know that we're really connected with a bunch of pastors in this city and something called City Unite and this year is going to be something special with the churches here and the things that we're trying to do. Did you know, um, and I'm, I, need to, I need to shut up soon, but did you know that um, Arvada, and some of you live in Arvada, some of you don't, and I get that, but you know the growth that's happening in this city. The city leaders in Arvada, uh, the city planners saying that, not, that growth in Arvada hap- hasn't happened like this since World War II. It is, it is growing so fast this city and with light rail coming in and the homeless population getting an easier access. And there are people, there are homeless families. Do you know that there's, there's upwards of 80 to 150 homeless families in Arvada. They live in their car or they live at weeks at a time in a, in a cheap motel or they live with family and friends on couches and things that's, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of kids. They say the the mean, the mean age of homelessness in uh, the state of Colorado is 11 years old. What can we do? How can we partner as churches to figure out some of these things? How can we, how can we lean in on the foster care situation in Arvada and in Westminster and Thornton? Do you know, there's like waiting lists of hundreds of kids that need a home. You need a place. Maybe it's for a weekend. How can we do that? I mean, there's something happening here. And I think scripture, if we are not careful, we could just read it and say, oh, that's nice. Or we could take it seriously. We could take it seriously like the people then took it seriously. And we have all this writing here to tell us that they did. They did. And so, I don't know whether it's hit you today. I don't know how you could love more. I don't know how you could love people more. I don't know how you could lean in towards becoming more blameless and holy and living that life, but you're not going to do it alone. Deal? Let's pray.